You're listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com. Genesis chapter 48. Uh, I think you're going to really love this. I'm going to read this. We're going to read the better part of this chapter. I'll make some comments. This is Genesis chapter 48. The message is called Inspired by Joseph. And after this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So you should understand that Jacob is 147 years old. I think it's okay to be sick if you're 147 years old. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Those are the sons of Joseph. And it was told Jacob, your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, I'll stop right there and just tell you, God Almighty is a wonderful word. Literally in Hebrew, it means El Shaddai. And that is God Almighty. In other words, God who is so powerful that there's nothing in your circumstance that God is incapable of overcoming on your behalf. That's God El Shaddai. Who needs El Shaddai? I need El Shaddai. So Jacob is saying, I'm 147 years old, and I have faced it, and I have faced it, and I have stared it down. Death, illness, loss, pain. I've seen God be God El Shaddai. He's overcome everything in my life. So now now he's going to bring Joseph and his sons together for a blessing. He says, I'm not leaving here without giving this blessing of great importance. And so he says to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make you and your company of people, and I will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. That is the promise that God gave to him. And so Jacob is going to say, this promise must now carry on. This promise must go farther and farther and farther. And so I'm now going to exercise the spiritual discipline of making sure that that takes place in terms of Joseph and his sons. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine, Ephraim and Manasseh. They shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are, and the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. I'll skip the next part. Going down to verse 8, if you follow with me, please. So when Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, These are my sons whom God has given me here. Uh, My understanding of that is really that Jacob, I think, I know he's old. His eyesights are dim. He knew his grandkids. These were his favorite grandkids. This is Joseph, his favorite sons. I think he's messing around as an old guy saying, Who are these guys? Remember, these, these are not children as we would think of it. This is very Hebrew, very patriarchal. Ephraim and Manasseh are in their 20s. They're millennials. Okay? So that's what they are. They're about to get blessed. So if you're millennial, you're about to get blessed. These are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. And so Joseph brought them near him and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. He thought his son was dead for decades. 
And he saw his face again. He's, now he's going to die. He says, I never thought I'd see your face. It's the tenderest of things. As I tell you, church, it's the tenderest of things. As I go through the empty nest syndrome, it's real, you know. My dog, my Labrador dog, is so sad the boys are all gone. All four of them are gone. Her jaw is like dropping on the ground. I got on the ground the other day. I pulled her to me. I held her like this, and I, her name's Lily. I said, Lily, I know. I miss him too. And so, so, so his name's Israel here. That's his other name. But, but he's saying, I never thought I'd see your face again. I thought you were dead. It's the tenderest of things for a father to say. Then Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself to the face of the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim on his right hand towards Israel's left, and Manasseh on his left hand towards Israel's right hand, and brought them near. And Israel stretched out his hand, his right hand, and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands like this, crossing his hands. And then he blessed them. I'm not going to even go through all of that blessing. Now down to verse 17. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, and he took his father's hand to move it over to Manasseh's. And Joseph said to his father, not this way, my father, since the one is the firstborn, you put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. In other words, this is what he's doing. Everybody take your hands like this. Take your hands like this. Go like that. Okay, that's what he did. The right hand symbolizing this anointing, this authority, he put it on the younger. He took this one, it's still a blessing, he put it on the older. He said, listen, I know, I'm Jacob. I, I actually stole the oldest birthright. It was a journey. It was a journey of rejection, but God worked it out. Sometimes God switches it. He, his kingdom is upside down. He has something for Ephraim that's going to be fulfilled, not like the older. The older will still be blessed. The older will still have power. The oldest will still have riches, but I have chosen uniquely to switch it. Man wants it one way. God is saying, I want it another. Don't mess with me. Ephraim will go into the northern country during the days that are settled. And that will actually, all the tribes will assemble to him uh, in many ways. And then Judah will have the second southern portion. He says, I know my son, I know he will also become a people and he shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So, inspired by Joseph, Jesus, come now and give clarity to the preaching of your word. Everybody say amen. amen. I got a series of points. I'm not going to belabor them. There was a guy that I love. I absolutely love. His name's William Borden of Yale. Around the 1900s, there was a tremendous revival, tremendous spiritual revival in which it had made the front pages for decades of all the news. Every absolutely, extremely wealthy young man and young woman just about in the Ivy League schools. Remember, this is, this is the UCLA system isn't, or the UC system isn't even existing. Uh, you didn't go to college, and so you had to have a lot of money to do that, and the Holy Spirit landed on the Ivy League schools and by tens and tens and tens of thousands, it's called the student volunteer movement historically, tens of thousands, those kids who were going to inherit all the riches of their parents left to become missionary pastors and evangelists all over the world. So one of the kids was, was going to be a billionaire. His name's nicknamed Borden of Yale. And 
he actually makes it into the Middle East to evangelize the Muslim nations, and he dies at about the age of 23 or 24. So we don't know anything about him. And so the, the, what we know is that we have his, a few of his journals, and he wrote as he had a disease and as he became sick very quickly, and basically he was an urbanite, and he was definitely an ag culture, and, and it just, he, didn't even, he couldn't even exist. He didn't know what to do. This is very common. These were very wealthy urbanites who had everything done for them, and when they went into ag world, it's like, I don't even know how to make a campfire. And so many of them died. But Borden of Yale, we have his, his journals and what he wrote before he died. And he has quite a lengthy kind of dissertation that he writes before he dies. And here's how he ends it. I know many people have great concern that I have actually wasted my life and I have wasted my riches. I am here to tell you that is not the case. I gave my life to Christ. I crossed many war barriers. I crossed many lands. At great sacrifice, I got here. I don't know if I've led anybody to Christ, but I have said I'm going to follow Jesus with my dying breath. And so here's what I have to say to the world. I have no reserves, no regrets, and no retreats from dying for the cause of Jesus Christ. And I give him my heart right now with my dying breath. So he wrote that, and he died. A very, very savvy person understood that there's a mom out there that probably wants to know, and grabbed his journal and made sure she got it. And that's how we know that story. And so that story and everything he said was put on the front page of every journal, uh, excuse me, a front page of every news. It's true. L.A. Times, New York Times, in Europe, Borden of Yale, and everything he wrote about. And you know what happened? Millions of people started writing into those papers saying, I have just become a Christian, given my life to the Lord. Where can I find a church? Where can I find a people? Can the Holy Spirit fill me like it did this young man? Yeah, amen, amen. We should clap about that. That's good. And so Joseph here, Joseph reflects that kind of attitude. He is, he is somebody who had no reserves, no regrets, no retreats. And so, so I'm going to give you a series of bullet points. You can write them down or tap them in your digital device. Here's, your, here's a few bullet points of everything that we read by way of introduction. First, Joseph knew no compromise. So if you want to understand this character of Joseph, you have to understand that he knew no compromise. He understood what he was doing, and it's just the backstory to why I read you about, well, how is it that there's no compromise that he takes Ephraim and Manasseh and he brings them to Jacob, who's also named Israel, and that his father's going to cross the hands and that he's going he's to bless him that way. How is that an example of being no compromise? Okay, let's go there. Joseph actually was sold into slavery, as most of you know. He is the prime minister of Egypt. He's still technically a slave. He's not free. He just is a very wealthy slave. He has the signet ring from Pharaoh the king. So if you don't know what Pharaoh means, just know that he's the king. Everybody say the king. He's the king. And so he serves underneath him. He's still a slave. He gets a wife. He has these children. And he's in Egypt. 
He's wanting to reconcile with his family. He thinks his brothers who attempted murder on him have actually slaughtered his, son, his other brother and his father because there is an inheritance there. So some things have never changed. He thinks his brothers want the money. And so that's why they were trying to cut him out. That's why they might want to try and cut Jacob out. That's why they might try and cut Benjamin out. And so it's of great concern to him. As it turns out, that's not the case. God has a tremendous reconciliation that's going to take place as these brothers leave the, the modern uh, area of Israel proper and end up reconciling Egypt with his brother Joseph. Joseph has two sons that were born in Egypt. His wife is actually not a Hebrew. She has to convert to Judaism, in that, as that's how we would say it. But she's not a Hebrew. So here's Joseph. What would you do? If you stay under Pharaoh's economy, the money stays with you, right? Everything that Joseph has on an earthly plane is simply because Pharaoh has given it to him, yes? Yes. Now he's going to take Ephraim and Manasseh, his kids, as you heard in the text, and he's going to present them to his father, and what is his father going to say? These two sons, born in Egypt, they are mine. Mine? Say mine. That means they are not Egyptian anymore. You understand the consequence of that? Joseph is saying, to the very end, I am going to stand on this promise that this place of Egypt, though I be this wealthy, though I have a role to save the entire world, though this be God's plan, this is not my home. That place is my home. My family doesn't belong here. My family belongs there. We are not staying in Egypt. We're not taking the money of Egypt. We're not taking the fame of Egypt. We're not taking the respect of Egypt. We're going home. So for his children, that would be a statement. We reject Egypt. Now, Perhaps a way of maybe understanding some of that, a few thoughts as we go. Remember, I'm telling you, first and foremost, he knew no compromise. To our current culture, our current culture has a variety of ideologies, or idolatries, excuse me. Uh, and so an idolatry is something that somebody puts above God. And so for decades and decades of most of my adult life, Certain behaviors have actually been an idolatry. So really easy to talk about human sexuality and the way our culture has had it for decades and decades and decades has actually been something that's been a form of idolatry where our sexual freedoms, or as people want to think about those things, are things that have to be above God because how dare anybody have any kind of boundaries around our sexual behavior? Are you with me? So therefore, when God comes and says, there's some boundaries around human sexuality that I have for blessing and for good, our culture really responds to that and rejects it because there's an idolatry. In other words, I can't hear that. I can't hear these boundaries. And so, so currently, though, we've moved beyond like behavior into, into how we think, which is an ideology and so you have entertainment, sports, politics, social media, all having an ideology. And now I'm going to very, very quickly explain how this works because it's a tension that you have to face every day. All of these things, entertainment, sports, politics, social media, have an ideology where they're actually telling the church how to read your Bible. Do you get that? 
So you have, you have sports people and entertainment people and you have politicians and you have social media and they're saying, this is how you read your Bible. You're wrong. Maybe Jesus Christ isn't God. Maybe he hasn't risen from the dead. Maybe this isn't the word of God. And all of those kinds of things, and it's an ideology. And to go against it is therefore then to experience this like huge pushback against that. It's an ideology. How dare you as a Christian think that it's true? How dare you as a Christian think that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? How dare you as a Christian think that you actually have to repent of your sin or experience forgiveness of your sin before God? Don't you understand how to really read your Bible? Don't you understand that these are just myths and fakes and fables? That's the tension in our culture. We moved away from an idolatry, which would be like our behaviors, into kind of actually how you think where there's like a thought police going on. And this is actually why pretty much no one can get along. That's why we have these social tensions. And so Joseph, though, lived in that same world, and he had no compromise, no compromise. He was going to serve God, and he was going to save Egypt, but he was not going to cave into Pharaoh. Secondly, secondly, now in terms of Joseph's great life, Joseph's great life, he said yes to God quickly. He said yes to God quickly. And so it's such a beautiful thing to have a person who can actually say yes to God like that. I love it when I hear stories from our Sunday school about the kids with their voices, right? And, uh, and so our teachers will teach them about Jesus and ask them to give their life to Jesus, and then they, they do that. Heard a story about that very recently. I loved it. But whatever it is, it's the idea of saying yes to God quickly. So if you want to grow in your faith, if you want to grow in Christ, even this morning, I don't know what God is telling you, but say yes to God quickly. I would be just really upfront with you to tell you that your pastor learned this the hard way. If my mother were here, she would tell you I didn't say yes to anything quickly. My mom would tell you that no. I would, she would tell me to go, you know, fold the clothes, and I, I would say no. And, of course, all this is in Spanish as we dialogue back and forth. And so even for myself, I'd have to journey on the same journey that you guys have to go on to learn to say yes to God quickly. Say yes to God quickly, and your strength will definitely Definitely be strengthened. Third, related to the life of Joseph. He cried out to God. He actually cried out to God. So this is seen in many of the prior chapters. As I just give you a character study here as we emphasize this one portion of the scripture. But he cried out to God. And so, <laughs> related to this. So there's, there was something that was sent to me uh, very recently. And it's a... Uh, Actually, I laugh, but now I'll go through the application. So it's a picture of Jesus, kind of stereotypical. It's not Catholic, but it's a little bit kind of like that. And it's like Zacchaeus up in a tree. So there's a man up in a tree, and there's huge followings, stereotypical, white, European-looking kind of Jesus. And, uh, and then the guy up in the tree here, perhaps you've seen this on social media. So, and then there's a, little, there's a little tagline down here called Woke Jesus, right? So you know where it's going, right? It's not going to be biblical or anything like that. But just stay with me for, for the moment. So this, this guy up here says, Jesus, how many times should I get vaccinated? Up to seven times? <laughs> right? <laughs> See that one? Right? So then Jesus over here says, I tell you, you're not supposed to get vaccinated seven times, but 70 times, seven times you should be vaccinated, right? 
So it's just kind of fun, and it's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of classic, right? So I laugh at that because I have a sense of humor just like you guys, right? So, all right, so cried out to God. See, that's why I started a little bit, excuse me, with that ideology. I'm not going to deconstruct what everything, all that is about. Are they making fun of Jesus? Are they not? People just don't know. They just don't know the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Like the unbelievable love God has for them. The supernatural power of the resurrection that can come upon a human being. Everybody walks on planet Earth dominated by shame and guilt. The Christian has it shaved off of them every day. So if shame and guilt come on to you, you have all the power and authority and resources in Jesus Christ to have shame and guilt taken off of you. Everything we know from the biological sciences right now tells you that if your mental frame of mind can actually be in possession of not having shame and guilt on you, there's actually revival within your physical body of greater and greater health and mental acuity and intelligence. And yet that entire side of the street of the biological science is trying to figure out how can we teach people that. And, it, and, and, and everything begins to point to Jesus Christ. The truth is when we look at that woke Jesus, we laugh and you should laugh. It's okay to have a sense of humor. But they don't know. And so we cry out to God that they wouldn't know. Fourth, in terms of the life of Joseph, he believed he was on a God-breathed mission. He actually believed he was on a God-breathed mission. This will come up in a couple of points in just a moment. But here he is with his dad, his dad at 147 years old, and he's bringing his children to him as a respect of authority. And he's bringing his children to him because he knows, I'm on a mission from God, and my sons need the blessing of their grandfather. I had this, some of you have heard this, and I'll tell the story very, very quickly and keep moving. But I was in Puerto Rico. If you don't know this, that's where I'm from. And uh, English is technically my second language. So my, and I was born in a little sleepy seaside town there. And so I actually got a chance to, just a long story, a very odd story. I'm not going to get into the details, but I got a chance to meet my oldest relative who's deep into his 90s, Uncle Eugene, Tio Eugenio. And he had, he had sort of been someone that was removed from our lives. And so I'd been, I basically didn't even know this man. I, I didn't grow up with them. I had no, no understanding of his life. And what I had kind of maybe thought was very different. And so I meet Theo Henio, who is on fire, baptized in the Holy Spirit. He is so on fire for God. And so here's the thing. I meet him. He's 95. He actually lives not in an old folks home. It's kind of different in Puerto Rico. He actually lives in a garden and he gardens every day. And so it's, if I showed a picture, it's beautiful. He just goes out and gardens every day. I meet him at 95. He gets out of his chair, gives me a hug. Mijo, come here, come here, come here. And so I have this picture of him that we got because, and I got to do this quickly because I can really tear up. It's one of those Sundays. And, uh, and, so, and so he lays his hands on me. And he lets me know that he has been on a mission from God. 
He starts preaching the word to me. He starts telling me to be a man full of the Holy Spirit. He starts telling me to live a life of no regret, that I will never regret. This is, this is like a year ago, you know? This is like I was a kid. This is like a year ago. He told me, you'll never regret living for Jesus. And he lays his hands on me, and he says, and so I now empower your mission of God for greater and greater strength because your children are my children, and they have the covenant of blessing. And then he says, he says my church... This church is my church. Like, Rick, these are, this is also my church. And I bless them to be victorious at the end of days. And I bless them to finish strong. And I bless it, Lord God. And he goes on and on. I couldn't even hear it. I couldn't even hear it. I was like weeping and sobbing. He knew, Joseph knew he was on a mission from God, a God-breathed mission. My uncle, my great uncle, knows he's on a mission from God, so much so that with his dying breath, he wants a nephew that he's never met to know, to know the gospel, to know the impartation of a faith, to know a victorious faith to the very, very last. And you need that same faith now too. Our culture, sure, there's times to argue about truth and that kind of thing or whatever. But what we need is for God to so empower us that we can impact so that we have the wisdom. This is the time to love and this is the time to truth. Truth and love together. This is the wisdom of this ministry. This is our faithfulness. This is our sweetness which funds from God. I'm not a sweet man and neither are any of you. But we are in Jesus Christ because of the change. So we have to believe we're on a mission breathed from God, just as Joseph knew. Fifth, and more to the point here. I only got a couple more, I promise. He knew pain had a sovereign purpose. So Joseph knew pain had a sovereign purpose. He knew it. He was a young man, and his brothers, which are technically his half-brothers, attempted murder on him. Remember that his mom, Rachel is the only wife his father wanted to have. But it's not really necessarily Jacob's fault in a tent, just the culture kind of thing. The wives were switched out by the father, and so he ends up having to take a second wife. And then Rachel forever can't have kids. And so sometimes in the humanity of that, people do all the wrong things. And so he ends up having a bunch of kids by all these surrogate women. But his true son is Joseph, and his true son is Benjamin, and his half-brothers who wanted all the money tried to kill him in cold blood. And they sell him into slavery. Do you want me to describe to you what it's like to be in slavery? Say no. Good. He was on a slave block. Do you want me to describe that to you? You should say no. Potiphar is top dog in the fight because he works for Pharaoh. He sees a young man. He's good-looking, strong, very intelligent. And so he just takes him for himself. The auction's over. Joseph, you're coming into Potiphar's house. He serves Potiphar, uh, but he's still a slave. By the way, he's put in Potiphar's dungeon. When he's falsely accused, he has no rights. And he actually still has no rights really before Pharaoh. When you read a couple of chapters earlier, when the, when the men, when the family comes into Egypt, he meets them out in this land called Goshen. It's a small text. You've got to pick it up. But he meets them, and he says, I'm going to tell you what to tell Pharaoh. You know why? He has no rights. Pharaoh definitely earlier says some favorable things, but if you read the text, a few chapters, Egypt, Egyptians don't like Hebrews. 
They're, in fact, they're detestable to them. That's literally what it says, which means they find them disgusting. They don't want anything to do with them. When Joseph's eating with his brother, Joseph has to eat in another room because the text says correctly that they have to be so far away because they think that Hebrews are disgusting. So he has to run to his family and say, when, when, when you're interviewed in front of Pharaoh, here's how it goes. And when the interview goes, he picks two or three brothers that can sort of best represent the family, and then he represents Pharaoh. He has no rights. He's a slave still, even though he doesn't look like it. He knew pain had a sovereign purpose, and if God wanted to sovereignly use my pain, then glory be to God. This is nothing we wish for. It would be false theology and false thinking to say, okay, then I want to wish for that. No, 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 no. Just let the grace of God take you on the journey. Okay, six. Uh, related to Joseph. Joseph, he was happy when God birthed the victory. And that's why I put point number five, you know, he knew pain had a sovereign purpose. And number six together, he, he was happy when God birthed the victory. So I put those together because some of you have suffered. If you've suffered, raise your hand, right? So people sometimes who have suffered have to be reminded to let themselves be happy when there's a victory. Some of you have come to me personally and told me, you know, about something great God has done. Oh, we finally got pregnant. Oh, but it's going to be so much work with the kids. No, you finally got pregnant! Oh, pastor, look at my brand new car. Oh, but, you know, I mean, it's this and that. You got a brand new car! Well, I got the new job, you know, so I'm going to have to work even harder. You got a new job! Joseph knew how to be happy when there was a victory. To be happy when there's a victory. Seventh now. He forgave his brothers for attempted murder. Oh. He forgave his brothers for attempted murder. It's not that Joseph was a fool and didn't have boundaries. By the way, Goshen is out kind of by, by the Suez Canal, and Joseph stayed in Egypt. All right, so some of that's because that's where his job was, but also, you know, I forgive you, but we understand. But he forgave them, and he forgave them from the heart. And even at the end of the story of the book of Genesis, the brothers are confused about this, and he has to go the extra mile with this famous phrase where he says, what, what man meant for evil, God meant for good. My brothers, you're all good. When I told you I forgave you, I forgave you. And by the way, let me just share this thought related to forgiveness. Sometimes you have forgiven people. So hopefully you forgive people who have really hurt you and broken your heart. But there's still a sanctifying work going on in their heart where sometimes you have to go back and give that affirmation again. My brother and sister, when I told you I forgave you, I forgave you. It's, it's done. Like, don't wear it anymore. No shame, no guilt. Be free. Eighth and last. Promise. Here we go. He honored authority. This is related to Potiphar, Pharaoh, and his father. He honored authority. Yes or no? The U.S. culture is good at honoring authority. Go. No. Thank you. Praise the Lord. We have a, we have a church that's paying attention. <laughs> I can go home now. Where's lunch? No, we're terrible at that. We're terrible. 
We're terrible. That's why I told you the illustration of my uncle beforehand. That's why I told you some of these stories are on purpose. Joseph honored Potiphar. He's a, he's a slave, and, his, and Potiphar's wife's trying to take him to bed. He's a good-looking young man. Most likely, in terms of the true history, we would say that Potiphar was a gelding of a man. If you know what a gelding is on a horse, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay, everybody who doesn't know, talk to those who raise their hand. <laughs> Potiphar is a gelding. Joseph's not. He says to her, how could I do this to him? Potiphar, he's treating me well. He's giving me a good job. He wants for nothing. He's put me in charge of everything. How would I ever, ever, ever defy him in this manner? And by the way, the text says, you're his wife. She lies. He goes in the dungeon. He doesn't blame Potiphar. He goes in front of Pharaoh. He honors Pharaoh. He goes in front of his father. He wants to honor his father. We're in the day of no compromise. If you think you can follow Jesus and be apathetic in any way, shape, or form, forget about it. You lost. Straight up. If you think that a culture, people you work with, your family members are going to cooperate immediately because you heard this sermon, oh, Pastor Rick said it's so great, it's great. Hey, I hope you say it's great. Forget it. You go to a discipleship group, you think culture's going to, no, forget it. It's a day of absolute no reserve, no regret, and no retreat. That's the day we live in. Holy Spirit is moving even in our church, in our community, looking for those who will actually allow themselves to say, I will live before Christ in a true grace with no reserve and no regrets and no retreat because Jesus Christ is my first love. He and he alone is my first love, the very anchor of my soul the anchor of my mind and the anchor of my body and the anchor of my will, my absolute first love of Jesus. I'm going to pray. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we need you to take control of our lives to baptize us with the Holy Spirit, to fill us with the full of things we've never been full of quite before that are the things of your kingdom, the things of your grace, the things of your truth. So I pray now, Lord Jesus, that you would come and fall afresh on this church and in this place. God, that our journey would be one of absolutely no reserve, regret, or retreat. Thank you for listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com.